Well, first, before we uh, kick, jump into the, the sermon uh, today, um, I just want to thank everyone who participated in yesterday's medical clinic uh, that was here at uh, Sojourn Midtown. Uh, this room looked a lot different yesterday as we had nurses and doctors and dentists and massage therapists um, serving uh, people all uh, over Louisville. We had over 145 people that were here and that were able to be served. We had 21 uh, people who had like tooth extractions. Um, it, was a, it was a beautiful thing. And we had people from all walks of life and nationalities um, right here. And many people uh, from Sojourn Church kicked in and served this community so well. We've got uh, some wonderful testimonies that we'll be sharing in the upcoming weeks and months about what the Lord did through your service. So um, even though we're not able to uh, say you by name, I just want to say thank you so much. The pastors here at Sojourn uh, really appreciate the way that you all serve this community um, and continue to serve Louisville. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the disciples received their assignment from Jesus when he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then later on, we see uh, Jesus uh, telling the disciples earlier on, actually telling the disciples to stay um, in Jerusalem to tarry and wait uh, for the Holy Spirit, to wait uh, for uh, the, the paraclete, the helper to come to indwell them so that they would go out on mission. And a lot of times when we hear that and see that, we, we can think a number of different things. But, but one thing that we need to, to think through more is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we are sent out into the world on mission. And living on mission for Jesus Christ is hard because we are going to face a, a number of oppositions. In fact, we're going to face what, what some have called the unholy trinity, the unholy trinity. And that means that while we're seeking to live out our faith on mission, uh, that we are going to uh, face opposition from our flesh, right? from our, our old carnal nature, from our current desires that, that kick against the, the will and ways of God. And we all have a story. We all have been shaped in a very specific way. And sometimes that hinders us on God's mission. But not only that, we, we go against the things of this world. The things that uh, our society and our world um, uh, uh, has that is, is against God's word and against God's ways. But also we have opposition from Satan and demons, opposition from Satan and demons. In the book of Acts, we see all of these things at uh, playing effect. We see all of these things trying to hinder the mission of God. But yet the mission of God continues and it goes on. It goes on stronger. But out of those three, the thing, the, the thing that I've noticed with Christians is we will talk about the battle with, with the flesh. And we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our sin, our proclivities, our, our weights that we carry. And we'll even talk about the world and the challenges that come with being a Christian and living in today's society and today's world. But man, when it comes to talking about Satan and demons, um, too often we get, we get really nervous. And especially in, in our circle. Now, some uh, tend to, to overemphasize it, but I've seen uh, here at, at Sojourn and, and churches like it that, that we, tend to, we tend to get nervous. We tend to underemphasize it. And what I want to talk today uh, with you about is, is mission and spiritual warfare, because we cannot overlook the fact that there is an invisible war going on, that there is a spiritual realm that is at full effect 
that's trying to keep us from being all that God has called us to be. And it's trying to keep us from being faithful to Christ's mission. So if you would stand to your feet and turn to Acts chapter 19, we're going to look at verses 11 through 20, and then 23 through 34. Acts 19, 11 through 20, and then we'll pick up at verse 23. and We'll probably just read to verse 29 or so. You're holding your hand. It's not a self-help book. It's the very word of God written by holy men under the inspiration of Holy Spirit. And we're going to read it as such. Starting at verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And in this way, the Lord, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And he called them together along with the workers and related traders and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul convinced and led astray large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in and uproar. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. So um, as Westerners, we are very scientific, very set on empirical data, very rational. Uh, we uh, think of ourselves to be to be logical. And so when we see a text like this in the Bible, we we tend to struggle and we tend to want to explain it away or even say that things like this, the, the supernatural realm, doesn't happen today. Uh, this week, a friend texted me a, uh, uh, a link uh, that talked about President Trump and how some Wiccans, some, some, uh, some, some witches, had decided to uh, try to cast a spell on them, right? And no matter what you think about Wiccans or their power, it does beg the question, question is there a spiritual realm? Is there... A, a world in which angels and demons exist, 
Uh, do people have the power to, to curse us by doing magic or, or sorcery? Well, while I may not have the answer to that specific organization, that specific group, what I do have the answer to is that the fact that the Bible is very clear that there is a supernatural realm. You know, growing up, I used to go to carnivals, and at carnivals, I would always run to the basketball station where you kind of win a teddy bear or a prize by shooting a basketball. And it was after a few times of playing that as a young boy that I realized that the, the rim was rigged. Like you had to shoot the perfect shot in order to get the prize. And sometimes, even in your own life, you may feel that way about life. That life is hard. Life is kind of rigged. Marriage is, is hard. Work is hard. Being single is hard. Being a Christian is like going upstream is hard. And I'm just here to tell you that what makes it hard is not only our flesh and our own stuff, and not only the temptations that we find in the world, but the fact that Satan and demonic beings exist. So really quickly, I just want to give us, take us to demonology 101 and just talk about this, this world of the supernatural and Satan and demons. And the, the first thing we see in this text is that, that, that the author, Luke, is, he wants us to know that demons uh, really do exist, that spiritual warfare really is an issue. And if you're going to explain away spiritual warfare, if you're going to explain away the demonic realm, then you have to explain away the majority of the Bible. Every genre of scripture talks about satanic and demonic influence. Genesis chapter 2, 3, we meet the serpent who attempts Adam and Eve. That is, that is demonic. That is, that is Satan masquerading. In the Torah, in the history uh, literature, in uh, the wisdom literature, in the prophets, in the gospels, in the epistles, in the book of Revelation, we see that there is a dragon, that there are fallen angels that is trying to usurp God's authority, that is trying to derail God's mission to bring redemption. And Luke is letting us in to what was going on in Ephesus as the Apostle Paul was ministering. In verses 11 and 12, we see that there's great success in Paul's ministry. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, the text says, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, this is the Apostle Paul that the Lord is working through and he's working through in a, the Bible says, in an extraordinarily miraculous way. So we know the Lord does miracles and miracles have been done already in the books of Acts, but this is described as extraordinarily miraculous. Things that Paul was using and touching had, had the anointing on it and people were being freed and liberated. It's not because Paul in itself was special. This is not Pauline worship. No, Paul's, these miracles that Paul was doing was to be a sign that pointed to Jesus. And as God was doing his works, Paul would speak up and preach the good news of Jesus. God was getting the attention of Ephesus. He was getting the attention of Asia to say, my kingdom is near. My kingdom is here. I am interrupting your ordinary schedule. I am interrupting the laws of nature to let you know that my son is the Messiah, the resurrected king. Now, this makes some of us nervous when we read this. Or we want to think to ourselves, well, this is what happened in the past. God doesn't work like that. There's, 
there's no such thing of things of, of this kind of spiritual warfare. Oh, but it is. The Bible says that it is. And some of us get nervous because we read this. And the only lens in which we have to view this is through TV uh, charlatans, through people who try to, to, to pimp people and try to use God's name in order to fill their, their pocketbooks. I had the joy of going to Israel um, a, a couple years ago. And while we were there, we were, uh, uh, had a tour guide, two tour guides, both of them was, was Jewish. And they were telling us that just after our group uh, just had, had come, there was another group before us um, that was led by Benny Hinn. And they talked about how he just put on this show and it was just so calculated. And he comes to Israel and he has all this stuff planned out. And it's really just entertainment. And they said it was so sad because he left a day early, earlier than they expected, the people who were there expected. And he, they said, we watch people realize that they had been taken advantage of. One lady had given all of her life savings in just this one week. And they said, we sat there and watched her weep and cry as they realized that they had been taken advantage of. That's not what's happening here. And we shouldn't let charlatans and people who uh, pretend to have God's power and who put on these entertainment shows uh, skew our vision of the supernatural realm and, and of the fact that we are in an invisible war. So we want to acknowledge that Satan and demons do exist. And we see that here in the text that spirits, evil spirits are left people as Paul and the rest of the disciples were ministering. Second, Satan and demons are discerning. Verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered him, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So this is an interesting story that, uh, that sometimes we read and we just don't know what to do with. This Jewish man has seven sons who are called the sons of Sceva. And they see Paul becoming famous over the power that he possesses in Jesus name. So they say, well, we can do the same thing. Uh, we're going to go out and we're going to cast out demons in Jesus name. Uh, but they don't know Jesus. They don't have a personal relationship with him. They have a form of godliness, but they deny his power. What happens is this demon possessed man, the spirit that's in him, recognizes that they are pretenders. They're fakers, they're imposters, they have no power, that they have no relationship with Jesus, that they're borrowing this power, so to speak. And what ends up happening is this demon possessed man ends up beating them to the point that they are naked and bleeding. For whatever reason, every time I read this, I, I, maybe I just watched too many karate films growing up, but I just think of uh, Bruce Lee in the movie Last Dragon. And it's just this nunchuck scene. And he just goes crazy on a whole group of people, right? Well, this demon-possessed man just goes crazy on these men. And, and they are, are ran out of there. And it becomes such a big deal that it impacts everyone who's around. And they begin to live for the Lord and glorify God. The point I'm making is that these demons, they're able to discern. They're able to see the thing behind the thing. And it's the same way it's true for us as we are, are living on mission that we want to recognize that the Satan 
and his demons, these fallen angels, they're watching. They're discerning. We have a real enemy that's taking notes on us. They know your weaknesses. They know our proclivities and our tendencies and our struggles. They're taking notes. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion. It's like a roaring lion. He is constantly seeking whom he can devour. The Bible says that this thief, that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan wants to kill you. Satan wants to take you out. While you are living on mission for Christ, Satan is constantly looking for a, a, a foothold to get into your life to see how he can derail you off of mission. You see, the same is true in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, all these stones, command all of these stones to become bread. So we see that Satan, the devil, has been watching Jesus as he is fasting and uh, uh, while he's fasting and at the conclusion of his fast, he, he, t- he is constantly tempting Jesus to, ta- to, ta- to turn stones into bread, tempting Jesus to prove himself and to prove his power uh, to him. Why does he tempt him with food? Because he sees that Jesus has went into the wilderness. The true Israel has gone into the wilderness to do what Israel could not do. And that is to be faithful to the Father's will, to be sinless, to do what the Father has commanded. We must know that Satan is watching us and he is looking to tempt us. There was a, uh, an old TV character called Flip Wilson. And some of you may not know who Flip Wilson is, but when I was growing up, I had a little dial by Flip Wilson and I would pull the string and he would say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And some of us, we're tempted to think and blame everything on Satan, right? But we can't. We can't. When we sin, it's not because Satan made us do it. James chapter 1 says it's because we desire to do it. We desire to do it. And we're lured lured away. We're enticed, the Bible says, by our own desires. But Satan does present us with the opportunity to sin and to fall. Third thing we see in this text as we talk about some basic demonology is this. is Satan and his demons, they seek to establish strongholds in people and places. They seek to establish strongholds in people and in places. A few years ago, I uh, got the opportunity to go to Haiti on a mission trip. And I have a few people here who went with me to Haiti. And Haiti is a, is a, a place uh, that has experienced a lot of trauma. I remember the first day we had an orientation uh, that a man gave uh, talking about the country of Haiti. And he talked about how how Haiti had been oppressed and had been a victim to to slavery and to harsh dictators. Um, But he also talked about how uh, the country's leaders, in order to gain independence, made a pact with Satan. And as a result, there's a cloud and a a demonic presence there amongst the Haitian people. The Haitian people are beautiful and and so kind and, and so generous, but they are aware of, of this presence. Uh, in 2004, Haiti announced voodoo is the, is the, as their national religion. Catholicism was before. They have embraced this, this spiritualism of and demonic nature of voodooism. It's a dark place. Satan has his, his foothold in, in Haiti. But you know, Satan also has his foothold in, in the United States and all over the world. 
Paul tells the church of Ephesus that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. Talks about principalities and and rulers of, of darkness. Satan is present in the U.S. just as he is present in Haiti. After all, we have a city called Sin City. And not only is it in major cities and in metropolitan areas, but Satan can be present in a rural area. Satan can be present on your job, your place of employment. Satan can have a stronghold in your family. And some of you all know that. You grew up in in an extremely oppressive and demonic situation. See, Satan wants to establish strongholds, not only in places, but also in people. And that's what we see in this text in verses 23 through 31. We meet a man by the name of Demetrius. See, and this man by the name of Demetrius is a silversmith. He makes idols for a living. He makes images of Artemis, who was this, uh, the goddess of Ephesus. Ephesus was a big city, but it was a demonic city. It was a dark city. They worshiped this god of, uh, called uh, uh, Diana or, or Artemis. Uh, she was the goddess of fertility. Uh, they had a temple uh, dedicated to her, which was known as one of the seven wonders of the world. It was larger than uh, most NFL stadiums. This was a place where Satan was present. This was a place where Satan was working. And we see that Paul is on mission for Jesus. And as a result of the disciples sharing the gospel, calling out the sin of Ephesians, telling these people that, 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 that gods made by human hands are no gods at all, that the power structure starts to get irritated because they realize that they may lose money. So what do they do? They come together and they begin to to tell the people, and a riot insists, a riot pursues, which Paul and his apostles, their lives are now at the point of being threatened. Satan had established a stronghold in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world against spiritual forces of the heavenly realm. So when we look at our world, when we look at our city, when you think about your family, your family dynamics, when you you think about your work environment, you want to remind yourself that, that Satan is at work, that Satan is on mission. And as we are on mission, he seeks to hinder us being on mission, that we are in an invisible war. And it's foolish of us to to live on mission and live our Christian life, ignoring the fact that we are at war, ignoring the fact that there is a real enemy who has declared war on the church. And not just war on the church, but war on all people. Satan is already defeated. Satan is already dead. But he wants to do as much damage as he can to take as many people as he can with them to eternal damnation. There's three things we need to remember every day if we are going to push back these satanic forces and live on mission. The first is this. We must participate in life with God. The reason the sons of Sceva got their bottoms whipped is because they did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They had religion, but no relationship. And perhaps 
Some of you are struggling immensely in your Christian walk because you are leaning on religion rather than relationship. They said, Jesus, we know. We know Jesus. He, He done cast out some of our people before. We've heard stories about Jesus. Paul, we know. Paul, man, Paul is doing damage around here. He looked at them seven. He said, but who are you? He said, let me see some ID. He said, I, they said, we're not feeling this. We don't believe that you're indwelled with the spirit, that you're walking closely to God, that you're participating in life with God. And the same is true. If we are going through religious motions, if we're even just reading our Bible for the sake of reading our Bible, if we just come to church for the sake of coming to church, if we just do the Christian thing for the sake of doing a Christian thing because we think it's right or it's because what we're supposed to do or it's because of what, we, what we've always done and we're trying to go out on mission, Satan is going to walk up one side of us and walk down the other. And we have to participate in life with God. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. He's writing to this letter to the book of Ephesus He's talking about, and he reminds them of spiritual warfare. And he says, every day you must put on the full armor of God. So that Satan and his fiery schemes will not defeat you. And then he uses this language of a satirian soldier. He talks about how the soldier will put on a helmet and he calls this for Christian the helmet of salvation. Then he talks about how he put on a breastplate, this breastplate of righteousness to, to protect our heart and our our organs. Then he talks about this belt of truth. And he says, gird your feet with with the gospel of peace. And then he says, put on a shield of faith. And he says, don't stop there. Grab your sword of the spirit. And what is he saying? He's saying every single day as a Christian, we must be actively aware that we are at war and we must put on the whole armor of God. What is the whole armor of God? In, In simple terms, it's Christ. We must clothe ourselves with Christ every single morning or we will become a casual. Helmet of salvation. Must remind ourselves of how we were saved and who saved us. So Paul established in Ephesians chapter one that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that we have been chosen, predestined, delivered from darkness made alive in Christ Jesus. We must remember that our righteousness is not a, a righteousness of ourself, but it's, a, it's an alien righteousness of Christ. We must fight Satan lies. And much, much of this warfare is, is, is verbal. It's, it's Satan uh, somehow working with our own insecurities and, and psyche to, to tempt us. He says we must put on a belt of truth, a shield of faith. Satan attacks us. We got to pick up that shield of faith. Say, I don't, I don't know um, how I'm going to make it through or, or what my next step is going to be, but I'm going to put up this shield of faith while Satan is trying to sell me lies. And that's what participating in the life of God is. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 4 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Some of you, you think that that person that's, that's kind of tapping on your last nerve is your enemy. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. How are strongholds defeated? How how do we overcome those things that, that have just been a part of us and a part of our life 
that, that are uh, against the kingdom of God and against God's will for our life. It's by fighting with spiritual weapons, he says. Spiritual weapons. John of the Cross says the devil fears a soul united to God as he does God himself. And that's what we see in this text. Paul was united to Christ, and those demons were afraid of Paul, but they weren't afraid of the sons of Sceva because the son of Sceva was not participating in life with God. They were not delighting in the Lord. They were not finding their identity and their joy in him. Second, we must faithfully proclaim the gospel. In the midst of spiritual warfare, uh, we must proclaim the gospel. Now, some of us uh, have had these experiences. I grew up in a very uh, charismatic home, which I'm thankful for. Uh, The emphasis of the spiritual realm and this invisible war was very much a part of my life and is very much a part of my life. Um, Growing up in a charismatic church and charismatic circles, however, I I do see that some people go to an extreme where they think that the the way that you defeat Satan is by focusing on Satan. And everything is of Satan, right? You get a flat tire, you got to cast that demon out that tire. (laughs) Cast it out. I bind you in the name of Jesus. Come out of that tire. And you look at the tire, you're like, no, you're just low on thread. Your thread count is really low. Like, it's an old tire. Satan has nothing to do with that. That's called laziness, right? Or, right? Or just struggling, right? Or cast the demon out of the computer. The computer, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, Satan, out of this computer. We bind and elusive stuff, inanimate objects. It's like, yes, Satan may try to disrupt your day by damaging a computer, but it may be that that's the first computer that Steve Jobs put on the market. And it's just time for a new one. The way we defeat Satan is not by exalting Satan. It's by exalting Christ. And in this passage, Paul is doing some serious damage in Ephesus. Not by focusing on Satan and his demons, but by focusing on Jesus. Paul said, I came preaching Christ and him crucified. And when you preach Christ and him crucified, there is a exegetical exorcist. There is a exorcism that takes place simply by rightly dividing the word of truth. By rightly preaching Christ. You know somebody that's under a stronghold that is is captivated, a non-believer that is possessed by demons. Christians, we can't be possessed by demons. We are indwelled and, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We may be oppressed, but we cannot be possessed. What's the best thing you can give them? It's Jesus. You know someone like Demetrius who was caught in idolatry? Uh, Calvin says that, that, that the heart is an a, a, a idol factory. So much going on in our hearts, so many idols. What do we do? Do we, do we point out the idols and try to idol hunt? No, we tell them about Jesus. We tell them about his goodness. We tell them about who he is. How he's the great I am. How he's a wheel in the middle of no way. How he's a bridge over troubled water. How he's the first and the last. The beginning and the end. The alpha and the omega. We tell them about his beauty about his extravagance, about his glory. We tell them about how Christ has come into our heart and allowed his light to shine. That's what the apostle Paul is doing here. He proclaims and he preaches Jesus. Verse 8 says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. 
He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. Paul said, listen, I'm going to go to the Jews and to the God-fearing Greeks. I'm going to preach Jesus. They said, we don't want you here anymore. Get out of here. He said, "Okay, I'm going to go to the lecture hall. I'm going to go to the university. And God used Paul to do great damage through his preaching. So someone has a stronghold in their life and you see it. What do you do? You preach Jesus to them, faithfully proclaim Jesus. Third, in the midst of spiritual warfare and this invisible war, how do we continue to move on mission? We do so through perseverance, perseverance through opposition. Paul and his friends in his text, they are in the middle of a riot. People want to harm them. And yet, once again, we see Paul is in a peculiar situation. The text tells us that Paul wants to go back out to, to preach to this crowd that's rioting. And the disciples say, no, Paul, you sit this one out. They're probably remembering what happened to Paul uh, while he was in Lystra in Asia the first time and how he almost got beat to death. They said, no, Paul, you sit this one out. Let's just let this one play out. And if you're in the middle of spiritual warfare, I just want to tell you, it takes discerning. You got to know when to push, when to press and when to just stop and to rely and rest. We have to persevere through it. And God sometimes delivers us. Uh, through spiritual opposition in miraculous ways. Sometimes he shows up and he avenges his people. And sometimes he don't. Sometimes he allows us to go through immense suffering. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, we think, think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expect it to die. This is him reflecting probably back on his time in Ephesus. But listen to this. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. So some of you are going through serious spiritual attack. Perhaps it's mental. Perhaps it's physical. Whatever the the attack is, you are under attack and you know that something is unusual about the attack that you are under. I just want to encourage you to allow Satan's opposition to have you run towards God and not away from God. Why does God allow us to go through trials of various kinds? Why Why did God allow Job to go through trials of various kinds? So that we would learn to rely on him. And the Lord has to strip us all of our, our hubris and our pride and what we think we know. And he does that and he allows Satan to do that, not to destroy us, not to humiliate us, not to, to, to break us beyond repair, but actually to make us whole and to help us to see another aspect of his beauty and his glory that we hadn't seen before. So I just want to encourage you, Galatians chapter 6, verse Nine, six verse nine says, do not grow weary in doing good, for you shall reap your reward if you do not faint. I just want to encourage the person here who's going under spiritual attack or opposition to not faint. Don't faint. Don't let weary win. Don't let weary discourage you. Know that you have a father in heaven who loves you and that we are in a war that has already been won. Story is told of a man, 
that had a gigantic snake in his house. He tells his neighbor, there's a snake in my house. And the neighbor goes and gets a butcher knife and runs towards the snake. And he comes back out. And the man says, well, did you, did you catch the snake? He said, yes, I caught the snake. And the man listens. He says, wait a minute, but I, I still hear the snake. I, you hear all that commotion in there? The snake's not caught. He says, wait a minute, I'm telling you, the snake is dead. He said, I cut the snake's head off. The snake doesn't realize it's dead yet. It's just going through the motions and commotions and just causing damage. And it's the same way. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus went on a hill called Golgotha. And the Bible says that the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 came true. That there was a man who was born of a woman who would crush the serpent's head. And Satan is already defeated. And you know what? He knows he's defeated. But before that final day of judgment, he's trying to do everything he can to bring destruction. And I just come to tell you, dear, my dear brother and sisters, not to let weary win, that Satan is already defeated and that we have the victory. And sometimes when we think about Satan, sometimes when we think about Satan and demonic forces, we, we have a tendency to paint this picture of it's like God versus Satan. <laughs> and it's like this real battle. But let me tell you something. God versus Satan is like a caterpillar versus a sumo wrestler. It's no match. There's no competition. God is all powerful. God is in control. Satan is defenseless against our father. And one day we will celebrate in glory at our victorious God together. And every Sunday when we gather together, we take a, a meal called communion to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he lifted a cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. When we take communion, we are proclaiming to satanic and demonic forces every week that weary has not won, that Satan, you are a lie and you are defeated. And we are reminding ourselves of this good news that we are perfectly loved in God the Father, and he is holding on to us way tighter than we are holding on to him. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine. The wine is marked by twine or juice, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, I just want to encourage you to take Christ. Jesus has come. He has come to take on the wrath of God so that we would not have to. And we experience his forgiveness. We experience the gift of salvation when we place our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And I just want to encourage you today, rather than take communion with us, to take Christ. And we pray that one day soon you'll partake in communion. Christians, if you're in the front half of the room, you can come to the front to take communion. Those of you who are in the back half of the room, you can go to the back to take communion. Gluten-free communion will be to my left. Let's pray.